0: I want to welcome you to the Pro Mindset Podcast. The Pro Mindset Podcast is all about diving into the headspace that results in championship performance. High performing athletes, winners have this mental flow and have a positive headspace for their performances and success. Join me, Craig Doman, sports attorney and NFL agent on this podcast. I will interview pro athletes, college athletes, football coaches, and sports personalities. Together, we can discover how you can get in the flow and have your own pro mindset. Today on pro Mindset, I've got a special edition. What kind of mindset does it take for an NFL player to make it? I was asked a few weeks ago to speak to a group in Kansas City, and I shared with them the seven building blocks that are a must to be successful in the NFL. I hope you enjoy the show today. Well, I want to thank you for coming today. We're going to have a good time because I'm going to talk about something that's near and dear to my heart, which is how do you uh, manifest excellence in what you do? Everybody, regardless of whether you're an athlete or you know, a banker, a lawyer, it doesn't matter what you do. Everybody's striving to be great. Everybody's striving to be the, their best self. And so when you're an NFL player, if you're not your best, you don't get to play in the NFL. So there's, there's probably very few industries um, maybe trying to get into med school, you know, certain things that are so competitive that if you don't put everything you have into it, you're not going to be successful. Well, the NFL is such a game where literally thousands of young boys that play high school football, and then it kind of is like a pyramid, and then you go to college and 25 guys a year get scholarships at the D1 schools, there's 129 D- D1 schools. And only about 33% of those guys that get scholarships actually get an opportunity to play. And then you go to the NFL, and there's 90 guys that show up in St. Joe at the training camp. And then that Final Cuts, uh, Coach Reed and all the, the GM and everybody basically sends 37% of them home. Those guys are the guys that are out in the real world that get to say that, hey, at one point in time, I was in the NFL. Well, how long did you play? Well, I was there for training camp in 79 or 84 or you know, 1999, but they really didn't get an opportunity to play in a game. And so what I'm going to do today is talk about the seven things that I found from reverse engineering an NFL player who's had a successful career. And reverse engineering uh, for some of my friends is um, <laughs> is uh, reverse engineering is taking it apart and rebuilding it and basically diving into the mindset of what NFL guys do. So I apologize to everybody else. But anyway, that was an inside joke. I'm going to share with you a handful of stories. But once upon a time, there was a young man who graduated from high school in Kansas City. And something happened before his senior year that he was suspended for a senior year of high school. So he had to go to junior college. And then after junior college, Coach Snyder over in Manhattan offered him a scholarship. And he played at Kansas State. And that was in their heyday back in early 2000s. And he had repetitive ankle injuries during his senior year, Uh, so much so that they were shooting him up with Toradol and all this stuff so that he could play on Saturdays. And I can remember being at Arrowhead in the Big 12 championship game after the game, seeing this young man because I was recruiting him, and they played Oklahoma that year. And he said, I can't feel my ankles. Well, I didn't know if I wanted to sign him, but the defensive coordinator at Kansas State at the time was a former client of mine who's now with the Patriots. He's a coach with the Patriots. And he's like, you got to sign this guy. This guy's got the mental makeup. He's tougher. He's, he's, he's one of the best kids we have. And I checked with some scouts, and they were like, yeah, he's okay. But I signed him anyway. Well, first thing that happened to him after I signed him was we had to give him a medical evaluation to see how his ankles were, and we found out he had dead tissue in his ankles, So doctors ordered him to have bed rest for a couple months. So when everyone else is going to all-star games, the NFL Combine in Indianapolis, then they have their pro day and they get ready for the draft. He's pretty much on no training, no workout, no anything. So he didn't get invited to an all-star game, didn't get invited to the Combine. I had like 10 draft picks that year. And he was like maybe the last guy on the list. And when when the NFL scouts showed up in Manhattan for his pro day in March... The first time he had run or did anything physical was two days before. And he did pretty poorly, as you might expect. And then the draft came and went. His name didn't get called. He didn't get, his phone didn't ring on draft weekend. And because Dick Vermeil was the head coach for the Chiefs at the time, and Bill Snyder being K-State's coach for Buddies, Snyder called Vermeil and said, hey, give this guy a shot. So they gave this young man a shot. That's not a very uh, ceremonious beginning to a career in the NFL. Well, I like to do a lot of lookbacks. When you do a lookback, you really find out what happened. This guy played in the NFL for 10 years, started for eight, started he, started, he ended up starting six games his rookie year for, for the Colts. He got cut by the chiefs at the end of training camp and got claimed by the Colts, um, made a lot of money, made a lot of friends still living in the Kansas City area today, and he's a very successful uh, person. But the question you got to ask is, how did this guy, who came from Kansas City, went to Kansas Juco, went to Kansas State, and here he goes to the NFL as an undrafted free agent, and yet he plays 10 years and um, plays in over 100 NFL games? Well, the answer to that question is, what is his mindset? And so we're going to dive into... What the mindset it takes, because for that young man, lost his father at 14, just didn't have like this red carpet life. It wasn't even you know wasn't even the best player on his college team. wasn't even the best player on his offensive side of the ball. What did he do, and what do people like him do to be successful in the NFL? So what's, what we're going to look at is right there. So when you reverse engineer, when you look at the scouting factors that NFL teams look at. They look at height, weight, speed. They look at tangible things. They look at um, your positional fit. They look at your injury history. They talk to the people on campus to find out whether you've got good character or not. They find out what kind of learner you are. You're a visual learner. you you audio or you're kinesthetic. You gotta, you gotta take a lot of reps. If you gotta take a lot of reps, you're not gonna make it in the NFL very long because like with the Chiefs games, they've got a game plan for Denver tomorrow night and they've been working on it all week. And then the uh, Vic, the head coach of the Broncos, is gonna have some game plan that Chiefs aren't uh, ready for. And Andy Reid's gonna have to call an audible between series and tell Mahomes, hey man, on this choice route, instead of it being A and B, now it's gonna be C and D. So the receivers and the quarterbacks all have to be on the same page. After practicing for three days for A and B, now it's gonna be C and D. So being a quick learner is very important. Their background, their passion for the game, uh, their performance and production in college. You know, if a guy is extremely productive in college, he's got a better chance to be productive in the pros. Okay, so I'm going to start with what are these seven things? Okay, the first one is belief. If you don't have belief in what you do, I don't care what you do, you're not going to have any chance to be successful at anything that has any type of elimination. Now, if you want to be a social worker, you want to be a volunteer where the more the merrier, you can show up sometimes and not believe in yourself, and they'll still take your helping hand. But in the NFL, it's cutthroat, and every day your job's on the line, unless you're a nucleus player or starter, you might show up one day, it might be a Wednesday, and you're thinking you're going to have a great day, and somebody taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, go see the GM. And all of a sudden, then you're going home and telling your baby mama that you don't have a job anymore because you just got cut. So if you don't believe in yourself, no one else is going to believe in you. And I think one of the biggest lessons I've learned about belief is, as a competitor, as a husband, as a man, as an employee, if you don't believe, why is anybody else going to believe in you? Kids are, are unbelievable at understand, in, in reading people. So if, if, if you don't believe in what you're saying to your kids... They're going to catch you being a fraud. Well, in the NFL, if you don't believe in yourself, your coaches won't believe in you. Your teammates won't believe in you. And most importantly, your opponents won't believe in you. So if you can just picture for a moment, it's probably been a long time for a lot of you guys to play football that played football. If you're playing offensive line and you're a center and you got the ball in your hands and you got a nose tackle and a zero technique right across from you, his head's like this far from yours. He knows. He knows whether you believe in yourself or not. He knows. My son that plays college football, when he is covering in man press on a, on a slot receiver, the slot receiver knows whether he's believing himself on that play or not, okay, and vice versa. And it's no different than one of my uh, good friends here that rides a bike. When you're going up a hill and you got, you're competing with a friend, you know that you can beat him or he knows he's going to beat you. So belief is a huge part of being successful in competition. The next one is passion. You have, to, you have to love what you do. There's three types of love. There's agape love. That's genuine love. That's almost biblical love. If you can have that kind of love about what you do, that's awesome. If you have that kind of love about your spouse, that's awesome. Okay? It doesn't get any better than that. Most, most guys don't have agape love about football. The next type of love is what I would call like functional love, which is, hey, you love it because everybody told you you should love it, and it's what you do. But the guys that are more successful are the ones that really love it. And for the guys that don't love it, you better love what it can do for you. Because if you strike out in both of those, you're not going to be successful, especially in the NFL. So when I talk about passion, I look at, actions. So let's let's um, let's look at one of my guys that came out of a small school in Nebraska. One of our high school buddies was his coach. He calls me up and says, "Hey, this guy can play." I didn't believe him because he was in an NAIA school. I called a couple teams like, "Nah, he's okay. He might play, he might not play." So because it wasn't going to cost me any money, I decided to represent him. And the draft came and went nothing happened. That's what happens to probably 90% of the players getting ready for the NFL draft. Nothing happens. And he got a call like three days, or I got a call three days later from a CFL team that said, hey, if he can be at a workout in Texas on Saturday, uh, we'll take a look at him. Well, there's hundreds of boys that go to those things. Well, he and his father jumped in a car from Hastings, Nebraska, drove to Dallas, Texas, and I'm somewhere else, and I get this call from my client saying, hey, they want to sign me. Well, long story short, they signed him. Most of the guys they signed go up to Canada. They're back home within two days because they sign him, give him no money up front, fly them all in, and see what they got. And then they send most of them home. So I expected him to be gone after two days. Because almost every guy I've ever had that's been in that situation has been gone after two days. Well, he stayed. He was rookie of the year, his his first year in the CFL. And after his second year, The NFL came calling because they could. He had a two-year deal, couldn't get out of it before that. And we were living in Salt Lake City at the time, so I had a a workout for the NFL teams and just said, hey, if you want to come, check this guy out. I think we had 26 NFL teams show up. He ran a 4-4-1, He's 6-3. He's a great human being. And we end up uh, fielding offers from multiple teams, and it came down to the Colts and the Chiefs. And so I came with them to visit them, the Chiefs. And I can remember sitting down with Carl Peterson at the time. And Carl played the homie, homie card, like, hey, man, you'd be close to home, blah, blah, blah. So the kid decided to sign with Kansas City. Caught eight touchdown passes his first year. Ended up playing seven years. Um, had a nice career. But that young man should have never played in the NFL. Should have never played. Okay? How many guys go NAIA and actually play a minute in the NFL. Very, I mean, it's less than 1% of 1%. So we've got belief and we have passion. What is that? That answers one question, how do you think? The next three answer what you do. So the first, next one is, next building block is, is purpose. If what you do as a man right now or woman isn't what your purpose, purpose could be being a mom. It could be a caregiver. It could be an employee or it could be an NFL player. It doesn't matter what you do. You have to be in sync with your, with your calling and with your purpose. Uh, the next one is your training. This is where coaches spend all their time. When I was in high school, this is all I heard. Get faster, get stronger, get tougher. This is where, this is where depending on what you... Hey, if you're a nurse or a doctor, this is when you're, going, this is when you're putting in the hours. This is when you're doing the things that nobody realizes you do to be great at what you do. If you're a teacher, this is when you're grading papers and do all this stuff. That's part of the game, but people don't really see that. Um, NFL guys have to spend a lot of time training. It's diet, sleep, recovery, rehab, getting in the playbook, watch watching extra film, um, being, being mindful of who you hang out with, all those type of things. Uh, the next one is lifestyle. This is the first negative one. Because all the rest of them make sense. Believe in yourself, love what you do, um, have a purpose for what you do, train for it. Now we hit the roadblock. This is the first roadblock. This is, and there's there's two forks in the road that are bad for NFL guys. One is when you start believing the hype of what the media thinks about you, or what your friends think about you. And the second one is, all the things that distract you like girls, uh, the mall, Amazon Prime, car dealerships, all those types of things. And so what happens is it doesn't matter if you love what you do, you believe you can do it, you got all that stuff together, you have an off day and you blow it, get arrested, all those types of things. So as a man and as a, as a non nfl guy, it's also true that you can sabotage whatever, like you can do that with your family. You got everything all lined up and then you go on a business trip and do something stupid or you, you, you don't do something. It's either something you're doing that you shouldn't do or you're not doing something that you should do. It's one or the other. So those three, those three define what you do. And FOMO is fear of missing out. It's caring more about what everybody else thinks. If you really truly want to fail, just focus on that because as an NFL guy, I was interviewing for my podcast a gentleman yesterday on my drive over here who played in the NFL for 10 years, and I'll talk about him later, but he said, Craig, I just had football on the brain, just football on the brain, and you might go, that's crazy, but that's what God, that's what God put on his heart, that was his deal, and so when no one believed in him, when people cut him five times, and he had all these hurdles that he had to overcome, because he had football on the brain, he just kept, he just kept going, and you can turn on ESPN on any Thursday or Friday and see him be a uh, commentator because that's what he does. He gets paid a lot of money for talking about football because he's got football in the brain. Um, 729er, I put that up there for a reason. I was in Phoenix talking to the general manager of the Cardinals about one of my clients. I'm talking to him about doing a contract extension, and my guy is a primetime guy. He's a starter. You know, it's, they it was the year they were going to the Super Bowl. They went down to Tampa and lost to somebody, Steelers somebody. And I, I, the GM says, "Hey, Craig, would you like for the head coach to come in and talk to you about Eric?" I said, "Absolutely." So Ken Hunt walks in the door. I said, "Hey, Coach, how you doing?" He goes, "Good." I said, "Would you mind sharing with me how you what what your vision is for my client? How do you see him being a part of this organization moving forward?" All those types of questions that you asked to create value for your client because you wanna, if you can bring the future of your player's worth in the organization to today, bringing the future to the present, you can create more value for your client. So I'm asking him those types of questions. He goes, Craig, he says, I'll never pay a 729er. I said, coach, what is a 729er? Oh, you haven't heard of a 729er. Have you guys? Who's heard of a 729er? Anybody? Okay, so here's what a 729er is. It's when you got a team, all team meeting at 7.30, and you, leave, you, leave about, you live about 10 minutes from the facility, and you leave at the perfect time that if you hit green lights all the way there, you get to the office at 7.29. So how many times do you think my guy was late? A lot. So he basically was saying until my, my client matured, until he realized he could get to work on time, they had no intentions of paying him a penny more than they had to. And he was making like $2 million that year, and I was hoping to make, help him make a lot of money. Well, suffice it to say, he never, ever made the big bucks like he should have because he was a 729er. So his lifestyle wasn't girls and bling and clubs and things like that. It was not showing up on time. So those three things, lifestyle, training, and purpose really answer the question, what do you do? And the last two answer, how do you perform? Number six is habits. So for me and and looking at NFL players and the ones that really perform at very high levels that play for a decade or more, I don't consider an NFL player uber successful unless he plays for 10 years. Because once you figure it out, you can play for 10. If you can't figure it out, you won't play for 10 weeks. It's that kind of business. And if as long as you take care of your body and your body doesn't fail you, you can play 10 regardless of whether you're a first-rounder, third-rounder, or no-rounder. So your habits for NFL guys is kind of like your default mode. It's your autopilot mode. When no one's looking, you know, are you a closet eater when no one's looking? You know, for NFL guys, that'll kill you, especially if they got weight clauses. You know, I had a young man one time. He was a fourth-rounder getting ready to go to training camp. And the first thing they do when they show up for training camp is drug test. So what did he and his genius brothers decide to do the week before? Go smoke some pot before, they went to the, before he went to training camp. So what, did, what do you think happened to him when he, when he took the drug test? So a lot of things in life when it's positive, it really means positive, but anytime it's a drug test and it's a positive, it's not a positive. So he got put in the drug program for a whole year. So he had to stay in that drug program for a whole year to get out of it. And he got out of it because he wasn't a habitual user. Okay, he wasn't being smart. And then the, la- the, uh, the other thing with respect to habits is, like for NFL guys right now, it's, what are, the, what are the Chiefs doing today? Today's Saturday. They're getting together at team hotel probably about 5 or 6 o'clock for a team dinner. They're off right now. They're either sleeping, doing something productive, hanging out with the family. Maybe some of the guys are watching film, trying to get, watch some extra film on Drew Locke so they can figure out this uh, rookie phenom that's uh, from Lee Summit or they're doing something stupid. And then you've got after the season's over, that's a big time period for players. They're either gonna get better and they're gonna be whatever their weakness is in 2019 is gonna go away into 2020, or it's gonna be bigger and they're probably not gonna play in 2020. The last one is what everybody thinks is the most important one, which is really your game day performance. And every one of us, NFL guys, like if you turn on the Chiefs game tomorrow night, you guys really don't care. If you're a real fan, you don't care what happened on Tuesday. You don't care what happened on Thursday. You really don't care what, what they have for dinner tonight. All you care about is who's going to show up and what kind of effort they're going to bring tomorrow night. How are they going to handle the adversity? What if we have four inches of snow in Arrowhead tomorrow? All those guys that are from the warm weather areas, are they going to be able to you know, show up and play in inclement weather? What I see with game day for NFL guys and also applies to us, too, is they have a choice of breathing the oxygen of belief during the game because there's oxygen in Arrowhead tomorrow night and it's either, you know, fans, when they start getting excited, they're, they're breathing the oxygen of belief and the, and the players hopefully are, too. Or they can, believe, they can breathe the oxygen of neutral, which has no real impact on them. Or they can breathe the oxygen of doubt. And so I don't know if it's ever happened to any of you guys, ladies too, where you had a meeting, you had an appointment, you had an opportunity. And when you're going in, you're thinking, I, this, this can't happen. I'm not going to do a good job. We're not going to get the business. Almost well, most of the time, you don't. And there's other times where you go, I'm feeling it today. I look good. I, you know I feel good. You know, hey, somebody held the door for me that didn't have to on the way in the building. I'm feeling the juice today. Well, you still may not get it, but you're more likely to get it on those days when you breathe that oxygen of belief. And so for NFL guys, when you have two dudes that run four fours, two dudes that have have been blessed with similar body types, two dudes that have watched film all week and they're ready for the game, but only one can be successful it's gonna be the guy that's breathing the oxygen of belief. That's the, that's the reverse engineering of an NFL guy. Believe, be passionate, be in your purpose, train hard, live a lifestyle consistent with it, develop good habits, and then perform on game day. I'm gonna talk about Robbie. Robbie's a guy that I call the seven building block man. And the reason why is because he exemplifies all of them. So I'm gonna share a story about this and you can learn a lot of lessons from Rob Ninkovich. Robbie grew up in Joliet, Illinois. His father was a factory worker, a steel worker. And Robbie, from like the fourth grade on wanted to play in the NFL. Uh, he was kind of a fat chubby kid. And when he got out of, when he got out of college, nobody wanted him. So they have a, a JUCO in Juliet, Illinois, called Juliet Joliet JUCO. So he went there to play football, worked his fanny off, lived with mom and dad. So how many of you guys? Marcus, are you still listening? Do you want to live at home when you go to college? No, I didn't think so. So anyway, Robbie didn't either. But that's what he, that was his only option. So he goes to college and he has to live at home and, and plays for two years at Juliet uh, JUCO. Then he goes to Purdue University. Doesn't look like everybody else. Doesn't have as much athleticism as most of the other guys but had the work ethic that nobody else had. Had the want to that no one else had. Believed in himself when no one else did. And when he got out of Purdue, he went in the fifth round to the New Orleans Saints. But not as a decorated player. He was just a fifth rounder, and hey, let's just go see what he can do. Because of his energy, effort, everything that he embodies, he goes down there and makes it as a rookie. And he's running down on special teams. He wasn't playing, he wasn't a phenom. And in his third NFL game, he's running down on a kickoff and tears his ACL. So for those of you that aren't familiar with how this works, when you're healthy, everybody knows who you are, everybody cheers for you, and you get regular pay and you get to play. But as soon as you get hurt, you go on what they call injury reserve. If you're a young player in your first three years, you take a roughly a 33% pay cut. You go have surgery, and then your new coach is called a PT. So you get to go to the sports medicine uh, room instead of, to the, instead of to the locker room. And then you spend nine months trying to get better, hoping that you can get your place back when you come back. So that's what Rob did. Now, being an agent, you know I'm not calling him every day to go, hey, dude, how's your workout going? How was your rehab today? Did you kill it today? Did you give everything you got? No. So even me, I'm guilty of probably not paying attention to him. Because I had other guys that are playing on Sunday that are doing fun things. You know, I'm going to their games to watch them play. I'm not going to Rob's rehab to watch him work. Okay? So the biggest challenge a young man has when they're in that situation is come back the second year and be better than ever because now you have the label of being a damaged goods. He made the team second year. Made the 53. And they are happening to play the Indianapolis Colts on a Thursday night. It's the opening game of the entire NFL season. I'm in Indianapolis for the game. The first guy I told you about was starting for the Colts. I had another guy, a defensive end for the Colts, and then I had Robbie for the Saints. I get a call about lunchtime from the general manager of the Saints. And I'm in the, the, I think I'm in the Colts hotel in the lobby, hanging out. And I get a call from the other team's GM going, hey, Got some bad news. What's up? Coach Payton wants to cut Rob today. I'm like, now? I mean, the game's in like six hours. He goes, yeah. I said, why? I don't know. I said, can you find out? He said, yeah. So he calls me back in like 10 minutes and said that Coach Payton, who's a Hall of Fame coach, going to be a Hall of Fame coach, wanted to sign a fourth quarterback for the game. Well, if any of you pay attention to the NFL, you know that today you only keep two quarterbacks in the active roster. He never four. So it was just a move. It was, an, it was a nonsense move. So Robbie is from where again? Juliet. Juliet's three, three and a half hours from Indianapolis. So he's got like 35 family members, mom, dad, sister, and 30 other friends of family, driving down I-65 to come to the game. So Rob calls his sister because... He knew if he called his dad, his dad would drive off the road. So he calls his sis and says, hey, I just got cut. And it wasn't until about seven years later, I'm at Rob's house before a playoff game in New England, that his sister is sharing with me what happened because I didn't know contemporaneously what happened. But what happened was she got the courage to tell her dad what happened. And they were driving down I-65. He pulls off at the next like exit goes into the gas station, rips off his Saints shirt, throws it in the trash, and bought, off the rack, a Mallard Duck shirt. So they, they in their family, that that episode is called the Duck episode because that was when their dad is driving, going, to, they still, still decided to go to the game, even though Robbie was on a plane back to New Orleans while 30 plus family members are watching the game that he was supposed to be in. So, As an NFL guy, something you don't realize is that some epic times are very negative because, you know, everybody's thinking they're going to come see their their friend, their neighbor, their cousin or their brother or whatever it is. And he's not even there. So I'm going to fast forward. Robbie's career, he gets claimed by the Dolphins the next day. He goes down to Miami and they have a first year rookie coach by the name of Cam Cameron. And Cam must be, you know, he's a really good guy, but he must not be a great coach because they started out 0-14. So Robbie was potentially going to be a part of a team that was the first, an organization that went undefeated back in 72 and in 05 completely defeated. But in the 15th game, they were hosting the Ravens and I happened to be at the game and I had a, a really good player in the Ravens and I had a handful of guys in the Dolphins and they beat the Ravens in overtime. So they went in 15. So after the season... I tell all my clients, go in, talk to your coach. They have these, what they call exit meetings. Find out what you can do to get better. What is the thing holding you back? If you're a starter and you want to be a primetime guy, what do you got to do? Go from this space to that space. If you're a backup, what do you got to do to become a starter? And Cam Cameron basically told him, you don't look like an NFL player. You don't have a body type consistent with an NFL player. And I don't believe your potential is something that we're going to want around here. So I was almost, felt bad that I told him to go in and talk to the coach because the coach was very negative to him. Two days later, Cam Cameron was, was fired. Okay. They brought in Bill Parcells, Sperano, Jeff Ireland was a GM, and they changed their defense. So he was a defensive end. He had to move to Mike Backer. So his career is going really well so far. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. So in his first two years, he played in three games. Then his third year, they decided to put him on the practice squad instead of keeping him on the 53, but they liked him enough that they, they agreed to pay him regular money on the practice squad. Today, the practice squad guys make $7,200 a week. Minimum rookies make $29,000 a week. I don't remember the numbers back then, but he was making the 29 being on the practice squad. In week 11, they activated him. Said, hey, we're going to see what this guy's got. He got to run down on three kickoffs. It was pretty cool. And he got cut the next day. So I call, the GM calls me to let, let me know the bad news. It's always fun talking to GMs because it's always bad news. But anyway, he calls me up. He's like, hey man, we got to let Robbie go. And I said, what do you do? I just didn't show enough. I'm like, okay. I just took him for his word. So I called Rob and I go, dude, how much? I didn't see the game. How much did you play? Three plays, three kickoffs, but two of them were touchbacks. So he really got to play one play. And he got cut. So. He got put back on the practice squad. Later in the year, the Saints, of all people, came back and signed him off the practice squad. And he he played special teams for the Saints for like the last three weeks. Shows up for OTAs. Sean Payton's his friend now because Sean Payton's the guy that cut him on game day, year two. Sean calls him in and says, hey man, I don't think you can play for us at D end. But we have an opportunity for you at Long Snapper. Rob's like, okay, I can do it. So they moved him a long snapper. So for the whole off season, which back then was longer than it is today, Rob Ninkovich was a long snapper. Didn't go to one defensive meeting, didn't take one rep in any defensive practice doing anything like a defensive outside linebacker DN. He was a long snapper. But what the team didn't know, we talked about training, he still trained on his own for defense because in his heart, his purpose and his calling was to be a defensive player. But he was only doing what they were letting him do. And he comes out to our football camp that summer. We got 300 kids. I try to find a place for him to teach kids how to lung snap through the legs when they're 8 years old, which they have no interest in doing. And he shows up for training camp a couple weeks later. And Sean Payton calls him into his office and says, Hey, man, we don't need you. We're good. They'd signed another guy off the streets. Two weeks prior. So here's this guy who thinks he's going to play in the NFL as an outside linebacker defensive end that gets kind of the the bait and shift type thing. He's a long snapper and he never gets a chance to do it. So I get a call from Bill Belichick about three days later. He says, Hey, is Ninkovich healthy? I'm like, Yeah. So you want to play? I'm like, Yeah. We got to work out for him. So I call Robbie, he gets on a, a red-eye that night, goes to, to the Foxboro, works out. This is how the reality is. If you have a son or a cousin or a relative that's working out for an NFL team, one in 15 get, get signed. He's on the streets. He's doing the same thing we're doing. They sign him. Three games into the preseason, Belichick calls him out. Now you gotta remember, this is like 2007 now. They've got Tom Brady, Gronkowski, Matt Light was an all-pro left tackle. Vince Wilfork was an all-pro D-tackle. They had some really good dudes. And Belichick says, there's only one dude that's made this team so far, and it was Robbie. He had shown him in three weeks energy and effort, want to. So yesterday when I'm talking to him, sometimes your memories fade. So I was like, how did you do that? What happened? He says, you can, this is Rob's words, not mine. He says, you can never win by beating somebody you should beat. You have to compete against people you're not supposed to beat. So when you beat them, people notice. So he said, when we did one-on-ones, pass rush drills, one-on-ones, he said, I went against our best player, which was Matt Light, the all-pro left tackle. And he said, I beat him on a speed move. I don't think he was ready for it. So Skarnekia, who is the O-line coach, got mad at Matt Light and said, do it again. So he got to go again, not because he was good, but because the starting left tackle, who's the blindside protector for Tom Brady, just looks stupid against the guy that just came off the streets that's been a long snapper for the last six months. So Rob says, you always have to have a counter move. So I took off and I planted my right foot like I was going to do a speed rush again and then I did a counter move underneath and beat him to the inside. So Skarnecki is going crazy and made Matt Light do it again. Not for Robbie, for Matt. So now who's getting the opportunity here? Robbie. So Rob's like, what do you do next? You know, I'm not, I know a little bit about football, but I'm not a genius. I was like, Bull Rush. He goes, absolutely. That's what I did. He said, I gave him the, I gave him the, the look like I was going to go speed, and then I went to a Bull Rush, and I, I bent him over. He said, I didn't knock him down, but I, I bent him, I embarrassed him. So what's the point? The point is, Rob Ninkovich, against all odds, when coming off the streets with no real, no fanfare, still believed in himself. He still had the passion for the sport, he trained when he shouldn't been training for that position, and he capitalized on it when he had the opportunity. And so, my wife and I, Teddy, had the opportunity after Rob won their first Super Bowl to go to Bristol because Robbie had an opportunity to go on the the car wash, which is when you go on about fourteen shows at ESPN headquarters, and they don't very few guys get the opportunity to do it. But so Rob spent like eight hours at the campus at ESPN going from show to show to show all day. And we went and ate pizza afterwards. And I asked him, I said, dude, how did this happen to you? And his, his comeback, he had, two, he had two perspectives. One was the belief. I never stopped believing. Even yesterday, he shared when he was 14, he wrote down all these goals about what he wanted to accomplish. He wanted to be an NFL player. He wanted to be a starter in the NFL. He wanted to be an impactful player in the NFL. He wanted to build a career in the NFL. He's a fat kid, 14 years old, Joliet, Illinois. And he still has those goals. So he was living. He, he was a, a living example of what he said he wanted to do in his 14-year-old self. How many of us still do that? Most of us, what we wanted to do at 14, we, that died a long time ago. That was, that was something we were going to do when we were 14. That was when we had big dreams. That was when we were young and naive, okay? Well, Robbie didn't quit on his dreams. And the second thing he said was, number one was I believed, and number two was he had this connection with the Lord that this was what he believed he was called to do. He wasn't called to go into banking, nothing against that, insurance. He was called to play in the NFL. And so now let's look at who Rob Minkovich is today. He's a father of three. He works for ESPN two days a week. He's a spokesperson for one of the largest banks in the New England area. He's got more money in count. He's got two Super Bowl rings. He was a three-time defensive captain for the team. He's, got a, he's, he's built up a reputation image that the only person on the planet dreamed of it was him. So anyway, I have a lot of respect for Robbie because he did what every one of us want to do, but we don't do. You know what I mean? So, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap this up by saying that when you, when you look at an NFL guy, a lot of people think you have to be a five-star, you have to go to Florida State, um, you have to be drafted in the first round, you know, everybody's going to roll out the red carpet for you, you're just going to be rich and famous. 95 to 99% of the players in the NFL are like Rob Ninkovich. If we would break down the Chiefs' roster... There's a lot of guys like that. A lot of guys like that. And what my encouragement to you guys is, is regardless of what walk of life you're in, especially for guys that are older, it's easier for guys that are like 15. When you're 15, you do have all the dreams. You do have all the goals. You think anything's possible. But man, when you hit 30 and life smacks you in the face, or you hit 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 or whatever it may be, My encouragement to you is to believe, continue to believe in yourself, be passionate about whatever you want to be passionate about, make sure it's in God's plan for your life, whatever you do do. And then if you don't work for it, don't expect anything to happen. So you got to train and live a lifestyle that's honorable and consistent with whatever that dream is. And then it's going to manifest into habits that are just going to show up. It's just going to show up. And then whenever you do get those opportunities to do whatever it is you want to do, you're going to increase your batting average if you do all those things leading up to game day. Thank you for listening to this episode of Pro Mindset. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Five stars, of course. You can follow us on our website, promindsetpodcast.com. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ProMindsetPodcast. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you the next time. Leftovers or the DMV or house cleaning.